Lean forward slightly. Look straight at the speaker. And listen with a sparkle in your eye. As though you might be thinking, gee, this is the most wonderful thing I've ever heard in all my life. Live from Hollywood, California, this is So I Married a Movie Geek! Hello, and welcome to So I've Been Living Under a Rock for 27 Years. I'm Chrissy McQueen. Not the official title, by the way, of the podcast. This is actually So I Married a Movie Geek. The movie geek being Justin Winters. Justin, say hello to the nice people who tuned in. Hello to the nice people that tuned in. And do we have anything to say to the people who have refused? Um. Jacques. Well, hello to you too. <laughs> you probably you probably won't hear this. They got this message telepathically. Welcome, you guys. We are seeing two, um, dare I say, fabulous movies this week. If for no other reason than that they were made by a legend. Do you agree? <laughs> okay. Yes. Well, the reason I ask is because it's like, depending on who you ask, some people are like, hey, that guy's a totally legendary filmmaker. And other people are like, I don't know, he's kind of creepy. Well, are, are they talking about his film output or his personal life? Maybe both. <laughs> We're talking about Woody Allen, you guys. Uh, my breadth of knowledge when it comes to Woody Allen films is sparse, shall we say? I bet you I can bet one that you've seen before. What? Celebrity. I knew you were going to bring that up. And if for no other reason because of Leo, yes? Yes. Okay, in case you haven't gathered or you've been living under a rock for 27 years, I have carried a torch for one, Mr. Leonardo DiCaprio, for basically as long as I've been able to carry a torch. And I will do it forever. So yes, I saw Celebrity, and I hated it. You hated it? Well, yeah, it wasn't that good. Well, hate's a strong word. I didn't like it. There you go. Okay. So you've you've seen Celebrity. Yes. You saw some of Annie Hall, I think, before you fell asleep. Right. What else have you seen? Match Point. Match Point. I love Match Point. I like Match Point as well. You know, it's funny. Somebody told me today that uh, Woody actually counts Match Point as his personal favorite of his own films. Oh, well, on the flip side, he counts one of the ones we saw this weekend as one of his least favorite. Which one? We'll get to that. You can't just leave me hanging. No, we'll get to that. Okay, fine. But, um, yeah, I like uh, Woody Allen a great deal. What do you like about him? Um, he's just got a signature, like, quality to these movies, to his movie, most of his movies that I find very appealing. He's... Witty neuroticism? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly, you can encapsulate pretty much all of Woody Allen in that phrase, witty neuroticism. Yeah. Or neuroses. Is neuroticism a word? Did I just make that up? But, I mean, in the two movies we watched this weekend, he, um... With the help of his cinematographers, of course, he captured, you know, the flavor of two different cities very well. Absolutely. And even though I haven't seen a great deal of his work, I mean, I do know what he's all about. I'm not that out of the realm of um, pop and movie culture here. And if I'm not mistaken, he is very big on making movies about, for, and with New York people, right? Um, yeah. Well, lately he's been doing a lot of stuff in Europe, but he, yeah, he's a big New Yorker, so. Right. He loves, uh, the Knicks. He's big into basketball. He's, um. Okay. <laughs> he, lo- he, he, he loves music, um, and music was a big part of both of these two movies we watched this weekend. Yes, and, and I noticed that right away. It's funny because usually in, uh, these movies that we watch for the podcast, you're the one who either notices the score or uh, whoever put together the soundtrack, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Right away when we were watching, we watched Manhattan first. I was just kind of snapping my fingers and tapping my toes, and I knew the Gershwin songs. And I was like, oh, this is in my wheelhouse, finally. A man who knows his musical theater. 
And then uh, when we watched Midnight in Paris, there was quite a lot of Cole Porter. Yeah. So I, I was on board with that as well, needless to say. Yes. Thank you, musical theater. Thank you, Woody Allen, for that. Yes. It gives a very uh, timeless quality to a lot of his films, his musical choices. So let's get into the nitty gritty here. Uh, if it's okay with you, I'd like to discuss Midnight in Paris first. Wee oui, wee. Oui. Wee oui, wee. Oui. Uh,. <laughs> You know what's funny? I feel like back in the day, in his older films, Woody used uh, brunette women as muses. You know, a lot of Diane Keaton. Um, yeah. And now he's turned to the blonde. We had Scarlett Johansson in Matchpoint, and now uh, Rachel McAdams in this one. Though, she's certainly a secondary character. And she wasn't really a, a muse. In this movie? No, 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 no. I'm not saying, like, for the for the main character, but, you know, I don't know. I just get that. Well, it, it's, it's very common in, in Woody Allen films for him to have um, a triangle that he's caught in between two different women. Gee, I wonder why that happened. <laughs> what? I wonder why that happened. What do you mean? Why he feels the need to make movies about love triangles. Um, well, this, I mean... This was going on in his movies before anything in his personal life. For was real, go- was going on. Yeah. When did this whole thing happen in his personal life with the um, what was she fourteen at the time? Fourteen year old. Who's was now his that? wife? The nineties, I think. No, was it? wasn't it before that? No, I think it was the nineties. Well, that's surprising. Yeah, the thing with Sunyi. That was Mia Farrow's daughter. No, I'm sorry, adoptive daughter. Yeah. Both their adopted daughter, right? Oh, I, I don't know. I assumed that she... I don't know why I assumed, but I assumed that she had adopted Sunyi first. Mm-hmm. And then married Woody, and then Woody was like, Hey, you're 14. I think I like you. And then she was like, Okay. And then <laughs> they, uh, they being Mia and Woody, broke up, and he carried on with the younger. I, I almost... I don't really know the particulars of it. It was all a little strange for me, so... Well, we'll get into that more when we start getting into Manhattan, because there's something to be said for that. Okay. But, okay, back to Midnight in Paris. I didn't know anything about this movie going in. I knew some of what was happening. So you knew that time travel was a part of it? I I had read that time travel was a part of it, but I didn't know, like, where, like, where people were time traveling to. I just knew that it was a part of it. But... I mean, in all the the previews and stuff, there was nothing said about it. So no, not at all. At least they kept it out of that. I, but it was mainly a surprise as to exactly what time period and what was happening in terms of travel. I almost wonder if we could make the case that the whole thing was a dream. But then they had an FBI agent follow, well, not FBI, but you know their version, the French version of an FBI agent, private investigator, follow around. Um, Owen Wilson's character, and he got caught up in it as well. So it couldn't have been a dream, because an outside force could evolve in a dream. You never know. Uh, but what wasn't a dream is that I thought it was awesome. The whole movie? Yes, I loved it. I thought it was really, really great. And I, except for Match Point, which I, I liked a lot, but I didn't like love, love Match Point. His. His later output, I've just been kind of like, so I was just like, yes, I love this wholeheartedly. We're so glad you put out something worth watching. No, I just, um, you know, I mean, he's he's getting up there in his old age, so like many directors who are still around, you know, still cranking them out. Some people say, you know, have they lost it? Do they still have the magic? Right. And then, you know, you watch this and you're like. Yes, he still does have the magic. Thank you. Magic is a good word to describe this movie because, yes, with regards to the time travel, that obviously in and of itself is a magical thing that they do. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like, I don't know, it's got, the whole picture kind of has a magical quality to it. And Owen Wilson has a magic to himself, which surprised me. That's the thing. Yeah. I mean, every single, mo- most of the ones, you know, when he's, when Woody Allen's not the main character... There's usually a proxy in place of him. And you're, right. you're always like, okay, that's the Woody of this picture. Of course. And things like uh, what, the one, there was one with Jason Biggs where he was 
the, the Woody Allen character. There was one with Larry David, that one recently, where he was a Woody Allen character. And throughout, I was just... With those movies, I was like, oh, okay, that sounded very Woody and Woody, Woody-esque. Woody-esque. This one, like at the beginning, I was like, oh, he okay, he's definitely the Woody character, and then I just totally forgot about it, and I was just like, wow, Owen Wilson is doing so well. I love yeah. him in this. I am so so glad that you brought that up because right away, I, I I think we must have had twin thought processes, you know. Except yours was more coherent than mine. Mine was more like bleep 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 bleep. What? <laughs> Because I'm not all that coherent when when I think about Is that what you're thinking? <laughs> yes. Above your head, bleep. you're like, oh, this is the Woody character by proxy. And I'm like, proxy! Weep, weep, bloop, bleep. <laughs> but it's the same basic idea. <laughs> no, but I, I exactly like you. I was very much like, oh, okay. Well, you know that... I mean, even when Woody doesn't make the protagonist or lead character have a Woody proxy, shall we say. The writing is so clearly Woody, and the way that it the banter goes quickly, and it's funny, because sometimes certain characters are in dialogue, and yet so what they're saying could almost stand as, like, miniature interior monologues, because they're, like, they're half talking to the other person, and then half talking to themselves. Yeah. And that's it just seems like such a, a signature Woody thing. At least from everything that I've seen so far, uh, that when Owen started doing it in the very, very beginning, I was like, "Oh no, this was a weird casting choice." Like, he's the Woody guy, I guess, but bleep bloop bleep bloop bleep, but bleep bloop bloop why? And then, just like you, as the movie progressed, I stopped seeing it as Woody's by proxy mm-hmm. and started seeing it as Owen Wilson is holding his own in a Woody Allen movie where he's not actually Woody Allen. Mm-hmm. True. He was charming. He was charming. He was very winning. He had like a a lovable like puppy dog quality to to him because they would call it a bondit. A bondit. Yes. Um. But I know throughout the movie you're like, okay, if this happened to me, I would probably react in much the same way that Owen Wilson's character does. I thought of the, you in these moments. I thought of you. I was like, I know it's a Woody Allen by proxy in a way, but it's also a Justin Winters by proxy. Well, I, like I said, I knew that time travel was involved and but I didn't know when or where or what was going to happen. But as it started to unfold, I was like, okay, the the English lit geek in me is like totally like freaking <laughs> out. I'm like, oh my God they're in this, he's in this, she's in this, right. oh my gosh. Okay, speaking of the he's in this, she's in this, you know, everyone's in this uh-huh. vibe of the film. Uh-huh. I, hmm. I want to, there's a part of me that wants to criticize this aspect of it and take it apart and say, really, was it absolutely necessary that he ran into everybody who was everybody back then? Obviously, uh, Owen Wilson's character runs into F. Scott and Zelda, and uh, Hemingway plays a big part. But, like, he also... Spoiler alert. Yeah. Well, you know. But uh, we're not getting so much of the plot, just that he, you know, runs into these people, and they're part of his sub-life. Yeah. Um, But, you know, then it becomes almost comical. Like, he runs into Matisse, he runs into um, Toulouse-Lautrec, you know, it's just like, again, literally anybody who's everybody came out of the woodwork and I was like where's Freud oh too early not yet that must be the only reason he hasn't run into him yet yeah well it was comical in that it just kept snowballing <laughs> snowballing like he's meeting all these people and it, it perfectly lines up with the fact that he's playing an author who's writing a novel all about nostalgia yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and the golden ages and all that stuff and so you get that going on. And then you also have the whole um, flip side of, uh, you know, all this time traveling is happening happening at night. While in the daytime, he's just having the worst time with his fiance and his, you know, future... In-law. In-law Republican in-laws. In-laws who are just the worst. Like, uh, everyone... Ugh. Everyone is the That and the, the fiance, played by Rachel McAdams, meets up with his old friend... Um, played by uh, Michael Sheen, who is like the quintessential pseudo-intellectual Woody Allen character. There's always like a a pseudo-intellectual character who's just full of shit, pretty much. Pedantic is the word that he used to describe him. And he's always like prophesizing and and saying that he knows all these things. 
and usually they're wrong. <laughs> there, so. There's a modern word that Woody, I think, has shied away from using, but really encapsulates who the pseudo-intellectual pedantic character is. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Douchebag. Yes, he's very douchebaggy. Yeah. Total yeah. douchey McDouche douche. Yeah. And ironically, uh, Rachel McAdams and um, Sheen are together in real life. I know this. I do too. I've seen them together. Yeah. She's she's a hottie, man. She's very pretty. But she just played, you know, the worst character in this. <laughs> I don't know if anybody would come after, out of this saying, you know what, Rachel McAdams... I'd like to marry her character in this film. It's funny because I turned to you at one point and I said, I've never liked Rachel McAdams less than I like her right now. Which is saying something if you consider the fact that she played Regina George. Because that was not a likable character. And yet you still kind of felt for Regina. I didn't feel anything for Rachel's uh, character in this. Which doesn't mean it wasn't a good performance. I actually think she played this particular sort of... Me, 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 heartless, I'm going to do what I want character well because it was subtle. In the doing what she wanted, in the being selfish, it was still subtle. It wasn't totally overt, like, I don't care about you. It was like, oh, well, you know, if you want to go do that, that's cool. Like, I'm going to go do my own thing. But it got to a point where after a while you saw her behaving the same way where you went, why is she even in this relationship? Why is he in this relationship other than the fact that she's just attractive? Well, I I think that he was in it because he kind of was like, hey, I'm kind of bohemian and a writer, and I'm really easily distracted by my writing. And so when you're easily distracted by something else, some other force or figure in your life, Mm -hmm. you don't realize what's lacking in the day-to-day. He was distracted. If he wasn't distracted, he probably would have woken up much faster and sooner and said, oh, this is not going to work. Well, and... Like, she wanted him to live in Malibu. He still had the dream to live in Paris. In the rain. In the rain. (laughs) Always in the rain. Let's walk in the rain, please. But I understood her thing of, like, really? It's rain. We don't really have to do that. Let's get in the car. (laughs) Okay. That part I understood. I was like, okay, yeah. Oh, and he, you know, he was tired of his uh, TV or, no, film writing job. and He felt like he had sold out. Yeah, and she's like, oh no, that's where the money is. That will help us live in Malibu and buy these, like, how much was that? $20,000 chairs? $20,000 French chairs. Can I just tell you that Rachel McAdams' mother in this reminded me of my grandmother on my mom's side? Because she was always like that. Like, let's buy this, you know, $5,000 hat. And you'd be like, are you kidding? And she'd be like, it's quality. I can't help it. You know, cheap is cheap. Like, if you want to be a pedzui, as they would say. It's French waves. We could say that. Like a, like a pazuki from BJ's? Pazuki is del- delicious. <laughs> pedzui means that you enjoy polyester and have a cheap taste. Ah, oh, that's not like a pazuki at all. No. So I, I heard that word a lot growing up when I would pick some sort of awful Barbie pink taffeta number and be like, I want this for whatever reason. And they'd be like, no. That's Pedzui. That's what Pedzui's wear. But here, here's the real reason I, th- I think that Midnight in Paris is a perfect movie for Chrissy. Oh, boy. <laughs> because Chrissy is always the one that says, I wish I could go back and live in this time. Oh, my God. That, that was the golden age. <laughs> You're right. And this, this movie is pretty much all about how nostalgia is pretty much fool's gold. It's crap. Because... Mm. Everyone's always nostalgic for, for a golden age before were, them. Yeah, exactly. Everything was better before, you know. Yeah. The, and, na- the now is so gauche and boring. And the funny thing is, that, that was a really good way of putting it, by the way. Kudos to you. The funny thing is, is that as you get older, you will then look back on the age you actually grew up in. Yeah. And will say, that was a great time when prices were reasonable and, you know politicians were noble even though they totally weren't and i wonder if you and i will look back on this podcast if we can find it when we're 80 and say you know we were mocking our our older selves but gosh darn it we were right you know and that was a that was a good time well you're more nostalgic in that way than i am that's true i'm gonna start being more like i live in the golden age (laughs) this is the golden age that i live in but can I ask you although, sincerely? Although, it's getting a little less and less like that 
with our, uh, you know, right. our country in the way it is in now. Well, that's what I was just about to ask you, because while I understand your um, philosophy and take from the film of, you know, everybody's going to wish that they grew up in some other time when it, they perceive it to have been the golden age, mm -hmm. and therefore you should live in the present, okay, grain of salt time. Do you really think that anybody will consider this time right now the golden age? Will history write this as a golden age? I don't know. Depends on how... Well, how bad it gets? Yeah, how bad it gets. <laughs> That's sad. When we're, you know, living on the street, you know, podcasting out of a box. <laughs> We're going to be like, remember when we used to podcast out of our own apartment? That well, was the greatest. That was before Big Brother took it away. <laughs> remember when you, we used to have not one, not two, but several pillows on our bed? We had like six. <laughs> We'd have to put some on the floor because there was too much. We were rich. <laughs> we actually ate three times a day. Sometimes Chrissy hates seven. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah. Um, I mean, hopefully... So then play my game for a second. Okay. And you know what I'm going to ask you, but for the sake of the audience. No. Pick your golden age, other than the time you're currently living in, if you had to. Like, you got caught in a time warp. Let's do time warp again. And they were like, pick a time other than your own, because we're going to leave you there. Uh-huh. Where would you pick and why? Well, immediately after this, watching this movie, I would have said the 20s. <laughs> but prior to watching this movie, you would not have? I don't know. I'm, I mean, no, I've never really thought about, like, I would love to live in this time, you know, go back and just live in this time. I was always more of the, like, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure variety where I was like, I'd go back here for a day, oh, yeah. go back there for a day, <laughs> you know, mix and match. Mix and match. It's like a scratch and sniff. Like, I actually thought, like, during this movie, I was like, oh, Wilson, you should just, like, take some of these people back with you and, you That'd know, awesome. have a great adventure. But they never really talked about how he, like, left the the time he was in. It was always, he got there and then, you know. It and then was he'd the, walk out and it was a laundromat. And it was, that was the only time that that happened. And then throughout, it's just like, he'd, it'd just be the next day and he'd be, like, really depressed that, you know, it's. Light out, and he's he's like thinking about you know last night Marion Cotillard and all that stuff. So. I have a confession to make. What the first time when he was like, yeah, sure, I'll go get my manuscript for you to read, Hemingway's assistant, and he walked out of the speakeasy, um, and it was a laundromat next, and I think you know this, but I was totally confused for a second because I was like, wait a minute, why, where where did that laundromat come from? Did they have laundromats back then? I don't think they did. Did they have electricity? Of course they did. It's the 20s. They had electricity. But they didn't have laundromats. Yeah, and I'm like, dude, you just left Hemingway in like a a bard. He was like talking to you. Why would you leave? I don't know very... I, and I'm ashamed to say because I was a journalism major. Mm -hmm. I don't know much, if anything, about um, F. Scott and Zelda Fitzgerald or um, Ernest Hemingway other than the fact that they were apparently amazing, you know, writers and fathers of American literature. I've mm -hmm. never read one of their books. Oh. I'm ashamed to admit, and I've publicly admitted on this podcast, so now I can actually go and do it and not feel so badly. Because I put it out there, universe, I've been a bad, bad girl. It's okay. There's always time. Have you read them? Um, I've read a few. I, I, I was very surprised. I'd never seen the guy that played Hemingway in this movie, or... I guess I just wasn't knowledgeable of other movies he's been he's been in before this, but he was really really good. He was extremely good. Everything that he said, I was just like, okay, that sounds exactly what something him him said. Like when he was talking about, uh, uh, what was he like? Uh, he's like, have you ever shot a a mountain lion in the face or something like that? He was talking about war a lot. <laughs> it was all about his experiences in war. But you know what's funny, I. I always feel like a devil's advocate when I watch films that I really like because I think... The devil's advocate? No, not like that. Okay. But I feel like I have to think about the possible downside of it. For instance, and we use this as, as an example often, but I am because it's what I know very, 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 very well. Obviously, I'm like the biggest Titanic freak in the world. And yet, 
I can objectively see why some people might criticize certain aspects or elements of the film or the story, etc. Are you talking about Titanic? Yes. What? Are you saying it's not the most perfect movie ever? To me it is. I'm just saying that to other... I could see it. I'm an objective person and I could see it. So in watching this uh, with Hemingway, for instance, because you brought him up. Yeah. uh, And he was talking about war all the time and stuff like that. Mm Mm-hmm. I am in the, the camp of that it's brilliant and fun and great, you know, writing, well acted, etc. Mm-hmm. Devil's Advocate side of me looks at that and says, you know, it's. I feel like this does a disservice to who Ernest Hemingway must have been because he's like a caricature of himself constantly talking about, you know, war and going down in the sludge and have you shot someone in the face and, you know... Uh-huh. To the, again, to the point of character. And they did that with almost anybody and everybody who was of note of that time. They did that certainly with Picasso. Yeah. Where I was like, really? Come on. You don't need to ham up Picasso. He's Picasso, for God's sake. And yet I loved it. <laughs> it's a movie. I know. I'm saying I loved it, but I can see where other people might be like, all right, the joke's gotten tired, everybody. We know. These are famous people back in time. But there were, I mean, there was a reason these people were so famous and and, and well-known. They were larger than life in real life. So, you know, to have that character and have them be just boring and and rote and say nothing of significance would be... Well, gosh darn it. And again, this is a, it's a magic, it's like a magical movie. It's like a... Just it, it romanticizes not only Paris, but these, you know, titans of literature that he that uh, Owen Wilson's character were huge fans. Well, gosh, of. golly, Justin, I forgot that back in the day you actually had to do something or be larger than life to be a celebrity. Nowadays, we got Paris Hilton. Exactly. Yeah. See? No, you're right. I just, you know, silly me, I forgot. <laughs> Hundreds of years in the future, this could be another like Midnight in Paris esque movie, and they're gonna go back to the nineties, and they'll meet Paris, and she'll be. <laughs> oh my god! No, but yeah, like she Ernest Hemingway, um, <laughs> the girl that played Zelda, Allison Pill, was awesome. As uh... she was, I just loved her. I loved her. I wanted to be her friend just because she her accent sounded like you know dozens of of girls. Or women I, like, I knew. It sounded like up. Reese Witherspoon in, in Sweet Home Alabama. Um, Kathy Bates as Gertrude Stein was She's awesome. Always good. She's never bad. Um, Adrian Brody was great. Adrian Brody, man, I really liked him in this. Oh, he was great. Yeah, him talking about uh, painting the rhinoceros. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's gonna be another caricature Dolly. of himself. Dolly <laughs> on a rhinoceros. <laughs> He was just so big on the rhinoceros topic of conversation. This is the kind of movie that I want to watch again, not because I didn't totally get everything the first time, which is frequently why I want to watch a movie the second time, because even if I liked it, I feel like I need to watch it a second or third time to get everything. Mm-hmm. I feel like I got everything this first time, but I want to watch it again just because it's a it's a perfect piece of escapism without being too fluff. And it's a great, um, you know... Travel video for uh, Paris tourism. Ugh, can we just go to Paris, please? I really want to go to Paris. Do you really? You've never voiced that to me before. Dude, I've always told you. I, I've never been to Europe, and I, I really want to go, but... Well, me either. We don't have passports. Well, of course we need passports No, first. I know. I'm indicating that but we've we, never we, been anywhere because we, we don't have passports. We'd also need, you know, the money, money <laughs> beyond just buying the passports. Dear generous benefactors of So I Married a Movie Geek, if anybody would like to to send us to Europe for a couple of days, that would be great. Thanks in advance. I mean, can we just get passports and just, like, just move out there and just hope we find a job? I'm not kidding. I'd be willing to do it. I swear to God on my life. It can't be easy because everyone else would be doing it. We need a work visa. No, that's not true. A lot of my friends who are now in America who are not American, i.e. Australian. I have a friend who's German. um, and or I have a couple friends who are from New Zealand. And they've all kind of said, nope, I came here on, um, you know, a vacation visa, which lasts three months. 
and then said, hey, I want to stay here. So I found a job. I'm sure our family would be very happy with us doing that. I think our family, well, one side of our family would support that endeavor. <laughs> oh, Guess man. which side would not be happy? <laughs> hmm. Anyway. But, I should go because I have relatives there. Oh, yeah? Well, yeah. My um, my grandmother was born and raised in Paris. Wait, so we have somewhere free to stay? Uh, if I could find them. Oh, my God. It'd be like... National Lampoon's European vacation, like, knocking door to door. Well, but like I said, my grandmother was born and raised there. She had her first child there uh, right before the end of World War II. Then my grandfather, who was a captain in the American Army, was in France and met her and brought her back to the United States along with uh, her illegitimate child. I know your history. I'm no, talking I know. about if there's anybody know. there who will let us crash on a couch. I understand that. So I'm saying I would have to go back and try to find for the loyals and then like who they became and then who they became over uh, the generations. Wow. That sounds like a lot of work. And then I'd have to find out if they spoke English because <laughs> I don't know French. That's it. That's where we're, we have trouble because I only know French. You only know French? No, not French. French. Oh, like country French? Country French. Yeah. Parlez-vous Francais. Just sweet amusant. <laughs> oh, wherever my grandmother is right now, if she's listening to this, she is not in her grave, so she can't roll in it, but she's preparing to roll over in her grave eventually. My professor in college uh, for French, she, um, she uh, thought it was pretty funny that I... I, t- I spoke all my French with a, with a uh, country accent. But she's, I assume, she was Southern as well. No, she wasn't, no. Oh, okay. Well, then that makes sense. <laughs> you know what's funny is my mom obviously speaks fluent French because her mom was French. And she speaks with a very clear American accent. I can understand, like, 75% of French, stuff. So. Oh, then you should talk to my mom. Because, uh, I, I have, mean... I have talked to your mom. Well, in French, I mean? Yes. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, so it's a very clear American, not like you're Southern American, but a very yeah. non-regional dialect American accent that she says, you know, her French things in. Like if she were saying, parlez-vous français, it sounds just like that. And so I can understand that brand of French. But when people have the accent and they really start going in it, I can't understand anymore. They got like, uh, like iPhone apps and conversion things. and Where you could speak into it? Yeah. Is it going to be as, as amusing as Dragon Dictation is? <laughs> where you, You're like, I think I would go and I would read the different pages of this vagina. And it's like vagina, vagina, vagina over and over again. Vagina? What's a vagina? <laughs> What's a vagina with a P? <laughs> I don't know. You just said vagina. I know. <laughs> Ow. I just hit my hand and it hurt. <laughs> Oh, my vagina. I mean, I was thinking of Spanish. Pagina, Paige. Oh, okay. Interesting. I don't know. I'm making things up now. <laughs> but we should probably move on to our second movie, because we're going to spend all day talking about how much we love Midnight in Paris and then deviating off the ADD path. But the point is, see Midnight in Paris. The point is definitely see Midnight in Paris. Preferably see it when you've had a glass of wine or two, because even though you'll enjoy it very much, I think, without that... You'll enjoy it much more with, because you'll start fantasizing about going back in time. Or just going to Paris right now. Or, or that. Or going to Paris at any time, really. Minus the plague. Don't go during the plague. Bad idea. Those were the golden ages. <laughs> the plague. Yeah, you know, um, if there were like if Euro Disney were around back then, there wouldn't have been any lines for the ride. I bet you didn't have to wait in line for the Moulin Rouge. Everyone's dead. <laughs> or that plague ride. That sucked. Here's another time you don't want to go to France. 1942. Do they have the plague ride at uh, Euro Disney? I don't know. But 1942, not a good time to be in France either. They have like a plague area like Tomorrowland. <laughs> what? What? You're crazy. So what will be your final grade for Midnight in Paris? Oh, an A all the way. Okay. Sounds good. And may I give advice to anybody who does want to see it? Please try to set aside your prejudices for the caricatures of the characters from the past. Because if you do that, then you, if you, I mean, if you can't do that, you won't enjoy the film. If you can do that, separate that, realize it's fun, it's magical, it's whimsy, and yet it's Woody Allen. Great. 
you will enjoy. Try not to fall in love with Marion Cotillard, because she's awesome. Are you in love with Marion Cotillard? I think she's dashing. She's great. Dashing! Yes. What a great word. She's... You reminded me of when Owen Wilson described one of, I think it was she actually, as lovely. She's very lovely. I, I mean, I understand why he kept wanting to go, you know, fast forward to midnight every night instead of hanging out with his awful fiance. Have you seen her funny or die thing where she talks about having a boob on her head? Yes. She's also quite charming in that, so. Trey Amusant. Trey's Amusant. <laughs> I can't even do it. You're so much better. Yeah. Is she on your, your quote, list? My list? Yeah. My French list? You have a French list? You, you have differentiations between your different countries? You have a list for each country? Wee oui, wee. Oui. <laughs> different hoes and different area codes. Oh my god. No, but your like, official, I assume, like actual list, is she on it? I don't know. Do you even have a list anymore? I don't constantly update that list. That's shocking. What? Why? Because I feel like you should have one. Who am I right now, by the way? I'm like your yeah. wife being like, you should have a list. It's healthy to have a list. Who are these celebrity women that you want to cheat on me with? Why don't you constantly not, update this list? I don't think it's really cheating if I'm encouraging you to have it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I've always wanted to know what if you actually meet a person that's on that list. Would you do? Or what if it looks like me and you and a person on that list? How would we discuss well, this? Well, hold my hand while I tell you something. Oh, no. No, I want you to actually hold it. Okay. I haven't said anything to anybody yet, so you are the first, and these listeners are the first. Oh, no. What? It's not official. It's not even close to official. It's just being tossed around. Is this something you can speak about on this podcast? Yeah. Okay. Because you'll see why, because I'm going to be very, like, surreptitious about it. Okay. It's just being tossed around like some pollen in the wind. Like a tree in the wind. But there is a slim but noted possibility that somebody who might or might not be at the very, 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 very top of my list might be going on the show that I work for eventually. Leo? I can't say, but suffice it to say when I looked at the options, I went what? And then died. This is my ghost talking right now. Nice. It's probably never gonna happen, because sometimes names get thrown out that mean absolutely nothing like even less than nothing it's like somebody i don't even know who was in some sort of meeting somewhere in some room and went what if we had this person on and then somebody else went okay and put it on the list of possibilities oh my god david beckham should come back so we can smell him oh my god he smelled so good he smells so good he was amazing he smells so he smelled as good as me <laughs> <laughs> keep getting told they smell good lately <laughs> So, um, not only did we watch Midnight in Paris, but we watched, uh, Manhattan. We did. And I chose this on a whim, actually, because originally... It's a great, uh, companion piece to Midnight in Paris. Well, I'm glad that you... That was all you're doing, and I give you total props and kudos, because originally... You lots of kudos. That's great. And, well, you deserve them. I was looking at our DVD bookshelf, and I saw the Royal Tenenbaums, which I have not seen, but always wanted to. And I was like, we've never seen, or at least I've never seen the Royal Tenenbaums. And you were like, cool, whatever, pick movies. And I picked it, and then I was like, I have to find a companion piece to this. I don't know what would, I, I don't know what would be a companion piece to it. So I just kind of like searched on, I don't know if it was an internet movie database or what, but I was like, Royal Tenenbaums, people who like, oh, it was, it was uh, Netflix. People who like this also like, and Manhattan was one of the movies that popped up. And I was like, hey, Justin, can we watch these two Netflix seems to think they go together. You were like, yeah, that's fine. And then we decided to watch Manhattan first, which I'm grateful for, because after watching it, you said, let's watch Midnight in Paris. Yeah. So, well done. Yes. Um, And I'm so, so, so glad that you did that, obviously, because I've, as I've gushed, I love Midnight in Paris. And although I liked Manhattan, I didn't like it as much. Hmm. Okay. It just... Hmm. Well, 
then you are in the same boat as Woody Allen because Woody Allen hates Manhattan. What? I think it's one of his worst films. How can you, I was just going to say, how can you really hate anything that you poured your blood, sweat, and tears into? Or was it the film? Or uh, I just uh, definitely his part, like his acting and stuff in it, he did not like. Yeah, he was a little much for me. I feel like, honestly, mm-hmm. and I know this is going to sound totally bizarre, mm-hmm. because it's the quintessential Woody Allen characters we've, as we've talked about already a little bit. You know who that character is. Yeah. I feel like in Manhattan that that character could have been played by somebody else. It would have been better than it was played by Woody Allen, even though it's like him. Hmm. Okay. Um, I mean, obviously this was a different time and stuff, but I could, I could see, um, oh, come on. What's his name? You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> yes, I exactly know who you're talking about. I could see, like, Roy Schneider doing that part. Roy Schneider? <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> I love Roy Schneider, but I don't know. He can do neurotic. Have you not seen all that jazz? Of course I've seen all that jazz. He can do neurotic. You know what? Uh, what? I really, I really, really like Manhattan. I don't know. Really? It, it's one of those ones that you just got to watch over and over to really appreciate all the complexities to it. It's... It's a very dense movie. That's true. It's very talky in, in parts. Very. And you know I love talky, but it was almost too talky, even for me. Here's what I love about it. It's 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 definitely probably my top five. I love, obviously, Annie Hall. Of Woody Allen movies, you mean? In terms of Woody Allen movies. Okay. I love um, uh, Purple Rose of Cairo. I love... I heard that's the other one that he says was his greatest. Oh, it's so good. You'll love it, too. Watch it. Okay. Uh, Crimes and Misdemeanors is one of my favorite. What about Bullets Over Broadway? Bullets Over Broadway's... Yeah, it's okay. I just know Broadway's in the title. Sweet and Low Down with uh, (laughs) Brad Pitt. What? Brad Pitt has made a Woody Allen movie? Not Brad Pitt. I was like, are you kidding me? What? I got really excited Sean for a Penn, minute. I'm sorry. Oh, that's not even close. I know. It was a slip of the tongue. Damn it. But Manhattan's up there, and one of the main... There's many reasons. One of which is um, my favorite... One of my favorite cinematographers, Gordon Willis, who did um, <laughs> the Godfather movies. Only you have a list of favorite cinematographers. What? Are you good? Mm, he's on my he's on my official list, my top five of favorite cinematographers. You know what? Screw you. You don't have a list of famous actresses you'd like to sleep with, but you have a list of favorite cinematographers. See, I used to get made fun of a lot when I was a little kid by saying <laughs> that I wanted to watch a movie because I knew who the cinematographer was <laughs> or who the writer was or who the director was. You know, while most people are like, Does it have Whatever in it, that's all. Things blow up. The things blow up. (laughs) Actually, I like things when when things blow up too. But no, Gordon Willis. He's he did all the Godfather movies. You know how much I love the Godfather movies because I've been trying to get you to watch them for years now. I haven't said I wouldn't. I know, but like, like many things, you're like, you put it off. You're like, you're gonna watch Lord of the Rings, but someday in the future. There's so many other things I want to see first. But Godfather. The Godfather movies are like, all right, whatever. Moving two on. of the best movies of all time. Thank you, cinephile McGee. Anyway, yes, I can like a movie because of its cinematography. Have you ever liked a movie purely because of its cinematography or cinematographer, as opposed to the whole movie? Um, no, it's usually like part of the reason. But this movie, Manhattan, obviously, you watched it. You know, you know how great. New York City, like, talk about romanticizing a city. Oh, yeah, big time. Manhattan does that in spades. I mean... In black and white spades. I know. Like, the whole the whole first, like, sequence there with, uh... I forget the Gershwin song. That, but that whole first sequence is just that Gershwin song and, um, just... Manhattan scenery. Sweet Embraceable You. And, uh... Isn't it? Embraceable You? No, My sweet so. embraceable you. Anyway, there's so many just like great shots and sequences throughout this movie where you're just like, man. Like as a kid I love the the whole sequence where they go to the um the space 
Space Museum? Excuse me. What? I have to go to space now. <laughs> I'm sorry. Of course you would bring that up. <laughs> We're talking about cinematography and Woody Allen movies, and Chrissy has to bring up a YouTube video about smoking Savia. <laughs> And that's what I bring to this podcast, y'all. Oh. <laughs> I bring it. <laughs> okay. I'm but, so sorry. Go ahead. And then there's that infamous shot. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm Continue just, to I'm geek t- out. No, I'm, I'm loving tired, it. I'm tired of talking about no, it. No, I love what you're saying, though. Anyway, there's several <laughs> shots in this movie that I would love, like, um, made into a gigantic poster and put in my living room. Oh, my God. Yes. No, I completely agree with you on that. I did simplify it for you. Ugh, I'm not stupid, Justin. I didn't say you were stupid. You were making fun of me for having a favorite cinematographer. Well, come on. It was an easy target. Okay, go okay. ahead. Have your say. I agree with you that the cinematography is probably the best part of the entire film. And there were certain shots that were truly so stunning in their use of shadow of light that looked almost sepia toned as opposed to pure black and white. There was cinematography, and the writing in this movie are the two main reasons I yes, I love the movie. Which is why I feel like it would be a really good picture pop up book. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, those, as we have established, are the two best parts of it. So why not just put it together and be like Manhattan <laughs> and read it to your children? Well, some of it might be inappropriate. But, yeah. What, it could be a, a great movie and a great picture pop of book. True. But, so. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I feel like Woody Allen was the weakest link of this Woody Allen movie. What? Why? Because he had a part in pretty much every single inch of the movie? I mean, he only wrote, directed it, starred in it. <laughs> he was a Barbra Streisand. Edited it. You know? Well, yeah. Um, because, although, as we have established, obviously, already, we love the cinematography, we love the writing. I didn't love him in the part. I feel like some of the pacing was a little bit off. Not that it was too slow as far as the scene progression. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm talking about, like, the actual dialogue. And, yes, we know we've established this as well, that it's very dense and very talky and very wordy. Mm-hmm. But somehow... And I don't know if it was just because he was going for ultra realism or what, but the pacing was just so not quick like Gilmore Girls quick, where it's banter, banter, and you are, you know, ping pong matching back and forth. But he would have like four people having a conversation at the same time where two, maybe two people were primarily holding the conversation and then the other two were interjecting and then, you know, maybe a fifth person came in and was talking about something completely different. Oh my god, I love that. That's like a dinner at the winner's house, pretty much. Yes, but it lacked focus and it lacked clarity. I love that that you're saying something lacked focus. Just because I lack focus doesn't mean I can't recognize when something that's put in front of me lacks it. Hmm. Okay. Well, well, I don't completely agree. I understand. I'm talking more in group scenes than anything else, to be honest with you. But there were quite a few because there were a couple dates and things like that. So, but the the one-on-one scenes were certainly stronger and better. I felt that other characters supplemental to Woody Allen's main character mm. should have been more thoroughly developed, like Diane Keaton. You didn't think she was developed enough? I didn't. I felt like she, I felt like her intelligence was almost, almost a a cover for not having too much emotional development underneath. You know, she was constantly. I think that 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 was her character. She was, she kind of masked, masked her emotional. um, Immaturity? Immaturity with, you know, trying to be. Over intellectual and and you know often putting down um, Woody's character and his. Okay, you know. I'm I'm actually willing to to yield to you on that. I think that you might be right in that. And and just her opinion. I mean, she was very. Uh, she, she obviously didn't know what she wanted in terms of romance because she you know went ping back and forth between Woody's character and his best friend character, right? Who was married. Um. But 
I don't know. I just thought it was it was it was uh, interesting to see how much her character was different from her character in Annie Hall, which was you know directly before this. Mm-hmm. While in Annie Hall, she was like more like wacky and like more winning, and this one she was like you know she had shades of gray. Yeah, I mean, this Manhattan's definitely more of a drama than Annie Hall was. There's a lot more, especially with the whole thing with uh, Mariel Hemingway's character and. She was completely not flushed out at all. We just knew that she liked this older man and that she wanted to go to college and, you know. But no, no, but that's not it. She, I mean, even though she was young, she seemed more emotionally mature than a lot of the other, you know, older adult characters. Don't confuse emotional maturity with stability. She was stable, not necessarily emotionally mature. Hmm. I don't know. Um, she brought up a good point, though, towards the end, when she was like, if this is really meant to be and we really love each other, then, you know, what six months will be around? Mm-hmm. So, you know. That's never true. You don't think? Huh? You don't think? For her character, you know, being 17 and going off to Europe, you know, I, you I, thought I, she, she was going to go off for six months and then, you know, st- still be pining away for, for Woody Allen's character? I think whether or not you pine away for somebody in and I hate to say this because it sounds so unromantic, yet it's true. And if you think about it, in a way, it is romantic if you think about it from an entirely different perspective. Timing certainly is everything. Of course. That's very true. So she's acting like, well, what, six months in the scheme of things, you know, in this long race of life. And if you look at it from that perspective, she's right. What is six months in the longevity of a lifetime relationship? But... If you look at it as being in the wrong place at the wrong time, when but she six comes months back, when you're you know seventeen and going to Europe is a lot different than six months you're you know in your forties and you're stuck in New York City while your girlfriend moves to Europe at seventeen, you know. Right, right, right. And you know she could move to Europe and step into an old timey car at midnight in Paris, and she's. Psh- Back into the 20s. That would be awesome. What? She'd be like, ooh, Marianne Cotillard, I might be lesbian for you. Uh, <laughs> you like that idea? You're like, yeah. But yeah, when I was younger and I watched this movie, I was like, oh, Mario Hemingway. Really? Huh? Really? Except for her eyebrows. Her eyebrows were kind of strange. She, I mean, I think she's a pretty girl, but she seemed very average to me. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe it was that scene where where they're in the bedroom and he, she's like, "All right, let's do what no one ha- let's let's have sex. Let's do what no one has ever let you do. You know, let's do it now." And you were like, "Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just squeeze Amusal." <laughs> <laughs> Come on. The brown water was something else too. But yeah, there's lots of great. Um, I mean. Her her role wasn't as big, but uh, she made the most of it. Meryl Streep was great in her small oh, role. Meryl Streep. Can we talk about how I love Meryl Streep? I love her too. I mean, she could do no wrong. She can do no wrong. I still want to see Sophie's Choice. <laughs> you made so much fun of me that one week where you're like, "Pick a movie, just pick a goddamn movie," and I was like, "All right, well, I don't know." And I was on the spot, and you were like, well, "What have you not seen that you want to see?" And I was like, "Well, I mean, I haven't seen like Sophie's Choice." You're like. Sophie's Choice. That's your choice for the podcast movie. Fine. We're going to watch Sophie's Choice then. What goes with Sophie's Choice? And I was like, I don't know. Pressure. And then we ended up not seeing either. Oh, man. You just got to be in a certain mood for, mood for Sophie's Choice. <laughs> You're so angry at me, though, for saying that I wanted to eventually see Sophie's Choice. It wasn't like I was like, this is the movie we're going to watch. I was just like, I'd like to see that at some point because I've never seen it. And you were like, fine. We'll watch Sophie's Choice. <laughs> Well, maybe I just wasn't in the mood to watch Sophie's Choice at that point. And then from there on out, though, you wouldn't let me, like, you would never hear anything else. If I Talk about something like, I don't want to talk about for 45 minutes. Sophie's Choice is definitely <laughs> on that list. But I'd be like, let's, can I pick a movie this week? Because I'm kind of getting sick of 80s movies or action movies or fill in the blank. And you'd be like, what, Sophie's Choice? You want to you wanna watch that? Well, who's let you pick a lot? Uh, you picked, like, last week and right, then you and picked I, this week. And didn't I do well, though? Yes. You, Are any of those movies Sophie's Choice? <laughs> no. That's that's what makes them great great choices. 
One day we will watch that. What what is a companion movie is always choice? Another very sad, depressing movie. <laughs> is it is it about Nazis? <laughs> yes. It's all about Nazis. <laughs> That's what the choice is about. <laughs> I didn't tell you this. I Nazis was at, are no Nazis. I was at twenty four hour fitness the other day yeah. and I was getting ready to leave and I was walking by the row of treadmills and there are the TVs and I I was already like dead set on leaving because I just worked Sophie's out for an hour. Was playing? No, okay. some Nazi movie was playing, and I don't know what it was. And I really wanted to stop and find out and know what what it was because it was. I mean, obviously a more. It sounds weird to say a modern movie, but you know something made in the last five ten years about that time. And Chris, Chrissy loves Nazis. <laughs> don't love Nazis. That's not true. Dude, you didn't want to leave the gym because you wanted to. I wanted to see what it was. I didn't. Know, I didn't know, and I was like, "No, you have to leave." And well, if you have to make the Sophie's leave. Choice of watching Nazis on the treadmill <laughs> in the gym or watching Sophie's Choice, you watch Nazis. <laughs> That's the best choice you can make. But isn't Sophie's Choice about Meryl Streep just having to choose between which child lives or dies? But she said it was about Nazis. <laughs> I thought it was. That's my favorite thing is is to just let you believe something <laughs> until I until we finally watch it and then you're just so surprised. I thought it was in the context of World War II. Like you go to a concentration camp or you don't. Isn't there a train involved? Oh gosh. I'm serious. So what did you like about Manhattan again? <laughs> Besides the fact that, that Wait, there was no Nazis in Man in Manhattan. Shut your face. Uh, obviously, as we've established over and over, but just to recap, the cinematography, the writing. Um, Were you surprised by the, the the outcome of the movie? Yes and no. If you look at it from his perspective, if you live the whole movie from his POV, mm-hmm. yes. If you live the movie from her POV, her being Diane Keaton, mm-hmm. No. Watch it again and imagine yourself viewing it through the so lens So what you're of, saying of is, role. if you would have been Woody Allen in this movie, you would have been surprised, but you... I'm talking about as a viewer watching right. the movie. No, but you still view... you As a viewer, you view the movie through a lens. And if you, you're viewing it through... <laughs> the lens of your television screen. No, hear me out. Okay. If you're viewing it through the, through the lens of Woody Allen... And the journey that his character takes, then yes, you are surprised by the outcome. Mm-hmm. If, however, once Diane Keaton kind of hits the screen, you start kind of counterviewing it through her lens and through what her priorities may or may not be, in, or trying just to see this whole story from her side, mm-hmm. you're not surprised when it ends up the way it does. Hmm. If you don't, if you don't take her actual feelings into consideration and just see her as a supplemental character to Woody Allen, yes, you will be. If you see her as a wholly realized separate character who could be the protagonist of her own story, then you're not. Hmm. Does that make sense? Not really, but okay. (laughs) Too many lenses. (sighs) So if you're Diane Keaton's character and you're looking through the lens of her own story... Back at Woody Allen, who's looking through his own lens, and you're like looking through double lenses, and it's like bifocal lenses. Whatever. I have a list of cinematographers that I love. And then the Nazis are looking through their own lenses back at Sophie, who's got the choice of lenses. (laughs) There's like an explosion of lenses. It's like lens crafters, but for movies. (laughs) It's just like the... uh, the Encyclopedia Encyclopedia <laughs> Brown of lenses. What are you, the Jessica Fletcher of lenses? Settle down, Jessica Fletcher. Oh man. Oh, that was fun. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I hadn't seen Ben in, in in a long time, and I was very happy to see that it, it held up. And like I said, uh, the cinematography from my, one of my faves, Gordon Willis. Um, it's great. Shout out! <laughs> I want that shot of them sitting, uh, overlooking the bridge in poster form, like, and put it behind my couch, pretty much. That would be awesome, and I'd be on board with that. Awesome. Um. I want it on canvas. It makes me want to go, um, back to New York. Um. Makes me want to go for the first time. 
Yeah, Chris, it's really strange that you've never been. What am I supposed to do? Pluck money from the money tree and go to Manhattan? Okay. It's a little easier than going to Paris. Not that much easier. The only difference is a flight time and passport. It's well, really not. It's a more expensive, expensive city. Huh? It's an expensive city. Ah, uh, I mean, you, you, uh... Unless you have somewhere to stay. Well, we can... I hate to say this. This is, Let me tell anybody and everybody who is either still single or not quite yet married yet. Do these sort of things now. Because even though, you, you know, it's expensive... It's much easier if you're 19 and single and not dating anybody to be like, hey, fellow 19-year-old, can I crash on your couch? Because they'll be like, sure, man. And you could travel that way. When you're older and married and your friends have babies and they live in different cities, you can't just be like, hey, can me and my significant other crash on your couch? We promise we won't disturb your newborn child in the other room. They're like, mm, not so good. Get a hotel. Can I sleep in your baby's crib? <laughs> Moral of the story, if you are young and single, travel now. Even if you don't have the money because you can crash and backpack and do all that stuff. Well, no. What we need to do is just say, hey, family in, on the East Coast. I know you really want us to visit you every year, but sometimes... We just got to go to New York City and get our, you know... Broadway on. Our Broadway on. So... So come visit us there. So step to that. Yeah. <laughs> so see you in New York. <laughs> exactly. Okay. We'll do that next year. Yes. I'm on board. It's a great city, man. I mean, uh, I always think about what if what would have happened if I would have chosen to go to New York City instead of L.A. Because that were my two choices, and I chose L.A. Womp womp. But if I would have chosen New York, guess what wouldn't have happened? You wouldn't have had a dog? I don't know. I probably would have gotten a dog. That would have been hard in Like New a York. little dog. Yeah. Um, no. I wouldn't have... Um... Oh, that's right. Mitchie! Are you kidding? You Did you legitimately have to stop and think of... That was hilarious. That was for effect. Oh, okay. It didn't look like it, but okay. No, I did that on purpose. Uh, that's very sweet. Something tells me you probably should have gone to New York. <laughs> I did not have the money. Oh, that's so sad. What? So I went to LA and met you instead. Because no. I didn't have money. I didn't have the money. And I didn't have um, uh, as many people that I knew in New York. And it's kind of hard to... You know, say, hey, can I sleep on your couch until I find a job in New York as it is for L.A.? Because usually, like, people have an apartment that's literally, like, their couch and that's it. The closet. The closet. (laughs) Right. Can I sleep in your closet until I find a job? (laughs) Who's that in the closet? Oh, it's just Justin. Can I sleep in your baby's crib? (laughs) So what do you give Manhattan? Oh, it's an A. You never told me what you gave, um... Uh, Midnight in Paris. Nay. Okay, so both A's. They're equal. I think they're now two of my favorite uh, Woody Allen films. I mean, like I said, uh, Midnight in Paris, definitely the best I've seen since Match Point. And, oh, for sure. But I like it more than Match Point just because it's so, like, in my wheelhouse of things that I love. Right. But, yeah, if you've never seen Manhattan, of course, watch it. But Midnight in Paris is is a is a new uh, a new a new favorite. So, well, very nice. Very nice. That was that was a good wrap up. Both movies make you want to travel more and um, you know see the world. See the sights with your with your with your someone. That's with your true. loved one. That's true. Or if you don't have one, find one there and and see the sights with them. And apparently have a love triangle because each movie had that too. <laughs> Go with your so someone that you love. But the, the you know the love triangle in in Midnight in Paris, you're like, ugh, like get get rid of that one, you know, corner of the triangle. That that that's the very weak one. So, well, it got weaker as we discovered more about her in the beginning. You didn't quite realize. How and, far at the, the hole and, and at the end of Midnight in Paris, no, you know, he started off on his own, you know. Yeah. He didn't even choose between the two, so. Which I liked. 
Yeah. I like that. Well, she was more of what he was looking for, so. She liked the rain. She liked French thrift stores and Cole Porter. Oh, I want to listen to some Cole Porter. You, okay, let's go back in time. Me? Huh? Will you ever dance with me? Sure. Like, for real? I've danced with you before. No, I mean, like, dance with me. Not, like, swaying like it's a sixth grade dance to the music that's playing. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> put you in a corner dirty dancing? What are you talking about? No, I mean, like, like dance with me. Dance with me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Why aren't you dancing? You gotta snap your fingers when you dance. I am. What does it look like I'm doing? I just did the Elaine. Oh, you did do the Elaine. And you have such long legs, it's almost like... I like kick myself in the head. Yeah, I was gonna say a dangerous endeavor. You're like, bam! Awesome. Well, it's been fun. Justin, I love you. I'm glad we saw some Woody Allen movies. Great. There's lots more to see. Well, good. All right. Hey, peeps, if you have anything you want to suggest to us, and may I say we are always open to suggestions, you can tweet them at Justin Winters or at Elf, and I'm at Chris Winters with a K. Yes. Thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, we, thanks, guys. We appreciate you and... Uh, and the other five of you. We, lo- we love you. We, we do. Wa- we want to, like, hug you. Especially if you want to host us in your terrace flat. Or New York apartment. Yeah. Just saying. We sleep in your closet. Keep in your closet. <laughs> right. And we're done.